Chicago. It's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups not suck at how they pitch themselves. How? By making sure their audience sees them not as the best, but as the only. And this podcast is the only show where you will hear from leaders in the startup ecosystem sharing a piece of their heart, their mind, and their story on how they are charting their own path, growing their companies, and choosing not to play the game, but to change the game. Before we get going, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, head over to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to our Point of View letter, where we share original articles, insights, and resources all to help you become the only of your industry. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped. It's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Columbus, Ohio. He is the co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. Please welcome... Naveen Goya. Hello. Great to be here. <laughs> Give me that energy back. Yes, I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's do this. We're in the ring. He is Naveen Goyle, as I mentioned, co-founder, CEO of Loud Capital. They are the company that is making venture capital fun they're making it accessible. And as their name suggests, they are making it loud, being loud with their words, loud with their dollars, loud with their investments. Loud Capital has been in business since 2015, specializing in both early stage VC and alternative investment offerings. They've actually invested in a handful of startup hype man companies, including Honest Game, um, uh, Honest Game, who else? We had um, Christine with Cyber Pop-Up. I believe you invested in League yep. Swipe as well um, with Darius. So uh, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, winding roads, if you will, over the years. Uh, I first had the opportunity and honor to meet you a few years back uh, when Loud Capital opened its Chicago office. I felt like we immediately hit it off. I may have been right in that assessment because here we are today doing a podcast together and it's not forced. so it's been awesome to get to know you over the years and i really was like i reached out to you to do this episode um given the way people are concerned about the market right economic situation right now and we've seen things come out like y combinator and other vc firms kind of sending their like doomsday letters to their portfolio companies and i think it's been interesting right um and i want to hear your take and that's why our, our topic today you know, Naveen being a VC is a VC's take on recession. So Naveen, first off, welcome to the show once again. Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, number one, it's on my mind because people can't stop talking about it. <laughs> number one, it's, it's literally one day the world, you know, the sun is out and the next day suddenly it's raining and everything has changed. And so there are physical things that have changed but the greatest portion of that is psychology. The greatest portion of that is our feeling. And we, we invest, we do things on emotion, we do things on how we're feeling. And suddenly there's this domino effect of everything is stopping, 
hold on to your money, do not invest a dollar, do not do this. So as you can tell by my initial gut answer, <laughs> um, um, I feel as, um, you know, I, I qualify myself as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, as a VC who raises funds, um, as well as a investor. And so when you look at all hats, everyone is still grinding and working hard to do what they do. And so from a loud capital standpoint and how I think of entrepreneurship and venture, it's very purpose-driven. And that purpose does not change with a change in psychology. And so if, I, if, I, if we see a problem out there that's being solved by entrepreneurs and we invested in them and we're helping them yesterday, we're still helping them today and tomorrow because those problems still exist. And that's really important because there are a lot of entrepreneurs, there are a lot of investors who say, hey, so what do you think's going on here? I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what's going on around the world, but I know that I'm working my tail off and I know you're working your tail off and that's it. Um, we've been through a few recessions since 2000, you know, together collectively. Um, and what I've learned is people continue to invest and work hard during these, if we want to call them downtimes. I mean, the market is down, GDP is down, people start getting tighter with their money. Uh, people do have less revenue. Le corporations, consumers stop spending as, uh, as much as they did, let's say, yesterday. But the people who had dry powder still have dry powder. There are still people raising a crap load of capital. Mm -hmm. Now, now VC as an industry, there's, there's a lot of hype and um, psychology plays into that. And so now you'll have these large VCs give these warning signs of we are just, you know, really foreseeing clouds coming soon or clouds are over us and we don't know how long this is going to be. But when you're investing in solid business models, not hyped, but really solid business models that make sense and not forecasting them three years out and giving crazy multiples that never made sense. You don't have to put those warnings out and have these conversations. So I'll, I'll stop there. But that's, that's why sometimes I, I just shrug it off a little bit because nothing's changed. My stress is the same as yesterday. There's still hard work ahead. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. I, well, and I think you know, the title of the episode is a VC's take on recession. But I, and what's interesting is you actually have a much more dynamic take than that, given your background, um, being not only a venture capitalist, being a current entrepreneur and also previously founding and selling a company. Um, and then on top of that, I think you're doing so much in the community as well. And, to, you know, to add to this, this, this list, um, you come from a medical background, right? Being a physician turned uh, VC or turned entrepreneur turned VC, I should say. So let's let's learn a little bit more about your personal background, and then we'll come back to our main topic today. Uh, and I want to I want to lean into that background being a physician because actually, yeah. you know, medicine is you know one of those industries that's forever recession proof. People are always going to get sick. People are always, are always going to need to get healthy. Now. You've written a lot about your background, uh, going through medical school, living the physician life, some of the challenges and problems you saw and why you wanted to you know, exit that lifestyle. But if we think about the good that you got out of medical school and your days as a full-time physician, what do you think you learned in that time period that sticks with you today? Whether it's a good market or a bad market, just what yeah. sticks with you today 
that you that you feel is like, man, if I never had that experience, I wouldn't be doing this now? That's a really, really great question because what it did is it instilled a focus on people. And so when you're in medical school, when you're in a hospital, in fact, I was talking to a group of uh, uh, physicians and healthcare workers yesterday about what I take from my medical background into the entrepreneurial world. And I will say that when you are in the hospital, and so uh, I'm a trained anesthesiologist, and so when it comes to the operating room, someone comes in, rolls in, uh, a, a trauma rolls in. There, there's no focus on anything but the person, the patient. And I will say in a, in a clinic, it, it's all about the patient. And then when it comes to billing, when it comes to all these other things that layer on in the medical world from a physician standpoint, those are secondary. Now, maybe even secondary to a fault. Then you go into the, let's just call it the business world. Uh, people get lost. It's really not necessarily the person. It's what's on them, around them, what they can spend, what they can do for you, how they can help your business. Maybe they're the buyer of your product, but in the end, people can get lost and it can become secondary tertiary. Now, when you apply this to the investment world, dude, people are lower on the totem pole. Mm. Venture, venture capital is a, is a lot of numbers. There's about exits. It's about track records, so many things, but the individual, the team, the founding team, the people they employ, the, the community they serve, the stakeholders they serve, they get lost in the mix. And I know firsthand, and it's actually why I'm so motivated to really shape venture to be more people driven. So that's a very long answer, but I, I really think that my medical training and then practicing in, in uh, a hospital system for 13 years, it was always about people. And actually there were, there were, there were layers that were starting to form an administrative side where patients were being lost in those conversations. And that was a huge turnoff to me. Um, but, but so I bring a focus of being towards people. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, when, when, when a company um, starts losing track of who they're serving and gets, it falls in love with their solutions. Hmm. You ever heard? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just reminding yourself what you're here for. And if you're serving the customer or the person across the table and you always remind yourself that, that's going to be a really good compass. Now, in that idea of serving people, you transitioned out of being physician only to being physician entrepreneur to entrepreneur um, with, if I'm recalling, Smile MD. You, yep. you launched kind of like the mobile anesthesiology company. And what I think is interesting about that sort of experience set or even choosing to do that is there are plenty of physicians. Well, I wouldn't even say physicians. There are plenty of people who can identify a problem. I think there's a difference between being able to identify a pro between just identify a problem, but versus identifying a problem and also being able to recognize an opportunity that may exist around that problem. And then, and so to take that as the backdrop and bring it into physicians, um, you know, like my brother, my sister-in-law, they're both physicians. They recently just got into like real estate investing, right? Which is a different form, but. Um, I think what I find interesting in this is there are plenty of, whether it's physicians or otherwise, who are like, well, I'm just going to do this one thing I was trained to do. 
because that's what I was trained to do. Why do you feel you were equipped or how do you feel you even had that like, you know, mental, whatever you want to call it to say, Hey, I don't just see a problem with this. I actually recognize a larger opportunity around this and I want to do something about it. I am, you use the word equipped. So if you want to, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Everyone is equipped, but not everyone is empowered. I am an empowered individual. Now that happened over time and that can be a whole nother discussion, but slowly I became empowered. And so now when I see a problem, I, I believe it truly can be solved, whether it's me or someone else. And a lot of times I don't see people doing it. So I say, let's do something. So it's, it's, it's you know, some people call it taking risk, moving forward on a step at a time, doing these things. And I, I literally talk to a lot of people about empowerment. If you do not feel empowered, all these amazing ideas, all these thoughts and experiences you have, you won't apply it to better yourself and better others, right? There's a lot of people who have so much to give and impact the world, which further impacts them, but, but they're not empowered. They actually feel like they can't do it or they're not the right person to do it or that people who do it are different. Mm. That is not true. They're just empowered. And, and it, it's really hard to just put it into one word, but I, lately I've been really coming down to that. And when people ask me, gosh, how come you've done this or why have you done? I don't know. People can call it crazy and stupid too, by the way. Like I've failed many <laughs> times, fallen on my face, lost money, done this. I've, I've, I've done all that, but I keep getting up. Like I, I will <laughs> fall and I will keep getting up. And, and, you know, I have two kids, two girls, 11 and 13. That's what I'm going to tell them, right? And so if you're a parent out there, or if you know a kid out there, and you would tell a kid, hey, hey, get up. Well, you need to tell yourself that too, because there's a lot of people that will fall on their face as adults and not get up again, even if they do decide to walk. So first take a step, then fall on your face, and then encourage each other to get up. We tell our kids that. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's that mentality, converting all this experience and knowledge and way smarter than people like me, but they don't act. If mm. people acted, they would learn a lot about themselves and learn of, of what they can do and be empowered. It's like uh, there's a saying that's along the lines of like, everyone's crazy until, they, until they're a genius. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's exactly right. And we become geniuses as we grow up. And structure, we overthink things, and then we're just like, oh no, we're, we're not supposed to do that. When you look at a kid, uh, a teenager, they'll do anything. And that is freedom, right? So with some guidelines, you take a teenager, and you can do a lot of things in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I mean, the way you said it really was like poetic, and I, I want to repeat it. You said everyone is equipped, but not everyone is empowered. And I, I don't want to necessarily like inflate your ego or anything but you know when they talk about like quotes from like Maya Angelou and whatever I'm like I feel <laughs> like there should be a future like etched in stone somewhere Naveen Goyal quote everyone is equipped <laughs> but not everyone is empowered because that is like I heard that and I wrote it down and I was like wow that is impactful stuff and I'm glad that you're going out there and like preaching the gospel of that message and, and what it also makes me think of is you know, you talked about this is all a process really of like learning about yourself. One of the things that, you know, I was on a panel recently and, you know, one, it was like an entrepreneurship panel. And one of the questions was around like, 
I don't know, how do you keep going? Stuff like that. And my response was like, like, honestly, like, it's so fun. Even when it sucks, it's still fun because I just keep learning things. And I was like, this is going to sound really geeky, but I like, I geek out on the fact that there are things that I don't even know I don't know yet. And that I know if I keep going, I'm going to find out what I don't know to ultimately know those things. That yeah. is so fun. Dude, I, I nerd out on those things all the time. <laughs> and my, right, so yeah. let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about our main topic today, which is a VC's take on recession, your take. Now, you gave us a teaser up front, but if you were to kind of give that, like, let's say a journalist was interviewing you for, you know, I don't know, a New York Times article, and you had to give that one paragraph soundbite, and they say, all right, how are you viewing the current market trends? How are you viewing the current potential recession? What's your soundbite response? The, the investing and looking at deals never stops. Um, I think there's a shift from looking at more um, deals that forecast kind of crazy profit and crazy margins and crazy multiples because since there is a recession, people say, oh, wait, maybe in a couple of years, we aren't going to be at this insane number in the stock market and there won't be this GDP that that is you know, really still recovering from the pandemic and going crazy. That being said, all it really changes is the deals people look at. And so when people say people aren't investing as much or funds aren't investing as much, look, there, there might be some slowing down of it, but I will still say there are still checks being written and term sheets being dished out. It will not be as easy if you just started this company yesterday and can promise the world and can raise capital. Like you hear some of these stories that are very, very, very rare, but they make the headlines. Our entrepreneurs in our portfolios, you know, I, I can't say that any of our entrepreneurs have raised easily. It's been hard. And we, we invest in a lot of underserved communities, a lot of women founders, a lot, a lot of first time entrepreneurs. So. We don't have people who were able to pick 10 VC firms and say, oh, I got 10 term sheets and I'm about to sign with them. So my perspective is a little different. So our tone with our entrepreneurs are not different because they have to work hard for every dollar and that doesn't change. And then when the market is not writing big checks to uh, a lot of founders, that doesn't change the world to them. And it doesn't change the world to us as a VC firm. So we are a small boutique impact driven firm um, who really feel there's an opportunity for investors. And so if you're a, a bank, a family office, an individual who are looking at VC as an asset class and suddenly you're like, wow, everything's slowing down. This is actually the opportunity to invest because valuations are more reasonable. Alternative investments are not tied to the stock market. And so the market's down. And so suddenly people are like, wait, I do still have money. I don't want to sit on it because it's not growing at all. What should I do? And this is an opportunity for a person like myself and our team to educate people on why and how people actually make real money when they continue to invest now. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so that's more than a paragraph, but you know. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I even forgot. I asked it for a paragraph because I was so <laughs> Um Okay. You said uh, at the beginning of that though, you said all it's really changed is the deals people look at. What kinds of deals were you looking at before has that changed for specifically for Loud Capital? Yeah, so Loud Capital, we have not changed. So 
So I, I was speaking more broadly as an industry from my perspective. Our deals we look at are the same, purpose-driven, problem-solving. That doesn't change with psychology or market dynamics, mm-hmm. right? And so like the, the first company I co-founded, SmileMD, we take care of kids on Medicaid who have 12 to 24 months wait. We're in Chicago, by the way, and you know what a Chicago Medicaid kid who needs a dental procedure waits about 22 to 24 months. Wow. You're a five-year-old kid, rotted teeth, and you need to go to the hospital to get your teeth extracted. You need anesthesia. And the hospital systems put dental and Medicaid very, very low on the totem pole. And so you have this long wait. Guess what? Nothing changes if the stock market's down. That kid's still waiting. We still go in and try to do it within a month. And that's, that's what, why we exist. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily stress out about the market dynamics because you have a line of kids. You have insurance companies who still have money and are willing to pay for this because they still save money with our company. Now, now that was an example of, of SmileMD, but now you apply that to other things. When you have a smart business model solving a real problem and your customer needs to, uh, is paying to get this done, that doesn't change. That might be a very simple answer, but now scale that up and the companies that are serving people and doing things that we need still continue. It's really people talk about consumer products and people, the, the, the large you know, tech companies who were developing things for the next couple of years because they felt this continued growth are now slowing down. They're like, you know what, we don't need, it's just a revisit, it's a cycle. A recession mm-hmm. is part of a cycle. It's not something that is unexpected. We just don't know when it's going to come, right? Right. It's well, having a party and we know the party's going to end. We just don't know what time. And suddenly <laughs> the party's done and we're going home and we're bummed about it. We knew we had to go home, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm simplifying a little bit, but I mean, it's, it's part of the cycle. I think that's a good simplification of it, though. It's a helpful simplification. simplification. But, and so in that respect, I think what would be helpful is... I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs who don't necessarily understand like the flow of capital. Yeah. Um, and I say that from conversations that I have had with, with different founders, right? Some of them are just like, oh, like firms just like have money. And I don't think they understand like where the money comes from. And what you're seeing is like crunch base articles and other play- tech crunch articles talking about how like, oh, VC money is disappearing. Not, not that they're, that they're not in not only that they're not investing, but it's like because their own money is starting to disappear. I mean, and you're, I'm not saying you're like an economic scholar or anything yeah, like that, yeah. but to the best of your ability, can you kind of like just explain almost like a economics 101 of like how the flow of capital actually works to help teach founders who are listening to this like so they can understand what, what's happening on the back end? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, let, let's say a lot of uh, large venture firms have... Um, investors that are from corporations, pensions, banks, et cetera. And, and they put in X amount of money into the, their funds and the venture funds um, manage that and invest and look for deal flow. And so it becomes a domino effect because let's say one of your um, um, investors is a large retailer who would usually have a ton of money. And, and now that the, the market is, is really you know, gone down and things are tightening up, um, and also, let's say their sales are lower. So that retailer who's an investor in your fund is slowing down. Now, they're also saying, look, we don't know how long this is going to be. We should just be a little bit tighter. Hey, venture fund, we're not necessarily going to continue investing with you. The venture fund says, oh, my, you're not the first investor to say that. We're going to be slowing down. So less money will be coming in the fund, and they will now say, 
we're just going to, let's say, invest in our own portfolios that we have right now. We're just not going to look at new deals or we're going to slow down our new deals or we have less coming in. So now our deals are going to be a little more strict. We have to be a little bit more conservative. And so it's just like this domino effect. Now, what I tell an entrepreneur ask me, I will say the same thing, but then I'm going to finish it with, but there are, they are still writing checks. So try to be that check. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to be insensitive. Like I, I've been a founder, raised capital. It's not easy, but, but you shouldn't stop and you shouldn't worry about that too much. You already have so much to worry about as a founder, right? And raising capital is another thing. By the way, I have this conversation every day. So once again, not trying to be insensitive, but I'm not sure what else to say. Keep trying, keep grinding. I've raised capital in a recession. It wasn't easy, it was harder. But if I thought about it too much, it would probably stop me and worry me and get me emotional and take my um, eye off the, off the ball here, right? Yep. So I'm a very, uh, again, I'm a very empowered person. I can only do what I can control. So when it comes to market dynamics and headlines and what people are talking about, which is constant, I try not to take that energy because mm-hmm. it's negative energy. It sucks it out of me. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that lens on it. I, you know, I've seen a handful of LinkedIn posts recently of indi- from individuals talking about how like they're so worried about where the market is going. You know, they don't know what's going to happen with their own company. And I feel like my my viewpoint is similar to yours, where I'm like, I'm aware of it because I know it's important to be aware of it, but I don't like. I don't let it dictate what I'm doing or I don't let exactly. it become an excuse. I think is probably the better way to put that. Like I'm not sitting here being like, you know what? I'm going to I'm just going to intentionally project lower sales because there is a potential recession coming or because the market is down. If anything, I'm like if anything, I'm like, no, we're going to keep doing what we know what works. We may have to adapt a couple things, but that is to make sure we continue to overperform, not underperform to meet, you know, the market standards. I want to outperform the market as a company every single time, regardless of if it's high times or low times. Exactly. And you'll see historically, there's been companies and companies that are founded during these kind of recessions, during these down markets. So when people say, I saw a post the other day, you know, is this, this is probably the worst time to have a startup or to, to start a company. <laughs> I think it's opposite. I think it's the agree. best time. You know, there's, to me, every day is the best time to start a company. But during the, when the market's down, when everyone's sitting there and pow, uh, I'm not going to be insensitive. When people are really talking too much about it, it's like the doers get to work, right? Mm-hmm. Get your head down. And, and get to work. And, and, and that's my, my mentality. Again, I'm empathetic and sympathetic to people, but after a while, it's, it's go to work time. So, you know, you mentioned in your advice to the founder, you were like, keep going out there, keep taking meetings. And I think yeah. I, want, I want to come back to that because I think it's important, right? If I'm hearing you correctly, the number of checks being written may be slowing down for certain firms. But the meetings don't stop. Did I hear that correct? If I had to guess, the meetings also might slow down, but nothing has stopped. People are investing this moment. People are getting term sheets this moment. People are in a meeting this moment. So if there's even one person out there in the world having a meeting right now, then people are having meetings. Hmm. (laughs) Well, why does it matter if there's a hundred meetings or a a thousand meetings going on right now? What does that have to do with you? Hmm. So let's take that and then if there's a founder who's trying to raise capital, 
you mentioned earlier, hey, it might be a little bit tougher if you're like very early stage and you're trying to just purely sell a promise with zero traction. Um, that said, you know, random companies like that have also, you know, like like WhatsApp, I think, was was created around a recession time period and there was no promise of revenue potentially ever. Um, what are what is a strategy or, or what are some strategies a founder can bring to the table in their pitch to help sell the viability of what they're building, particularly if they are early stage? Um, I, uh, again, my, my answer doesn't change in, in this conversation or another. It's really like, are you solving a real problem and is there a market for it? That's it. I don't think there's anything specific you say. If you can get in that meeting, you pitch the way you pitch. Um, but I think like if you're a consumer product, you know, um, company and you're, you, you have this thing of like, oh, everyone's spending so much money on this and you might have to adjust that because you're like, wait, things have changed so much and now consumer spending, let's say, on, on these kind of items have slowed down. I mean, that's possible, but we usually don't look at those kind of things, so I, I don't think about it too much. Um, but when it comes to, again, solving a real problem, whether it's an energy problem or an education problem or a healthcare problem, um, those things exist. And if it's a solid solid business model that you've built or you're building, you'll be taken seriously. I, I think, again, down market or up market. Um, the other thing I want to mention is, I've been having more conversations about this, is there may be, a sh- and I don't know this objectively, there might be a shift of the later stage company investments going a little bit earlier, which is could be really good news for folks. Um, because when you are earlier, you are cheaper and less proven and less hyped, right? And so as you get, as you grow, Series A, Series B, et cetera, all that, you know, larger valuations that are maybe coming down for your company, some of the VC funds and, and PE are looking at it and saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to go in that area. We might just go a little bit earlier and, and get behind the entrepreneur right. and, and kind of start. And that's where we play, little, you know, seed Series A kind of thing. We love it down here because maybe it, once again, not affected as much with market dynamics. And, and by the way, I probably should qualify the statements I'm making is really looking at more of the early stage. When you look at later stage, it gets very different. There's a lot larger checks. There is a lot more forecasting. Um, down here, there's not as much forecasting. It's really focused on the, the, the mission, the, um, the core team, and the opportunity ahead. And I think that's why I like it because I think it's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, overhead expenses are still relatively low, and that's what I think. You know, I had someone ask me recently. They were like, "Yo, for startup hype, man, like, is your clientele dropped?" I was like, "Actually, no. We've actually had our best months recently." And I think, I think part of it is the fact that at early stage, you're not really affected by these macro trends so much because you don't have a staff of 700 that you've got to now be like, "Oh, we got to lay off half of them." Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. On that note of early stage, so I mentioned earlier in this conversation how you know you had your Y Combinators and your other big sort of like names in the industry sending their like doomsday letters. Even though you know Y Combinator, if you come out of Y Combinator, you're still really an early stage company. You're not like a Series B or C company at that point. You're a seed or a Series A stage. And they're like, you know, pull back on all expenses, focus on revenue, which I, I know you're going to, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't that have always been the case? <laughs> but why do you feel like there is this notion? 
I feel like that floods the market of like, oh no, times are bad. Change your strategy because what you were doing before was only viable in a in a better market. Yes, that, that I don't understand that. I'll, I'll be honest. I I don't believe in like these hyped. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase that. I wake up in the morning and I always think you have to have a solid business model. No matter what you're raising successfully in a, in a crazy market and you can get really crazy valuations. I mean, in the end, it's, it's, it's business. And I, even though I'm in the venture space, I don't get into what you can get necessarily out there, right? Which is like the sales market. It's like, hey, what can you get for this company? Um, people really focus a lot on that. And I actually think like how, if, if, if this was to be acquired or if this was to be invested in at this stage, how are people going to make money? Because you represent investors in the venture world. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to give this crazy term sheet that values this company here, have you really thought about the execution and what it takes to get an exit that benefits everybody, not just an exit? So when you ask those questions, which sound very um, straightforward and common sense, sometimes it just needs to be said out loud. So for me, when people say now focus on revenue, now make, you know don't like spend too much money, watch your overhead. This is business 101. And in venture, by the way, do you know that venture, you know, a, a big part of venture is not necessarily run or operated by entrepreneurs. Mm. There's a lot of people much smarter than me who have banking backgrounds, uh, MBAs, they've, they've studied a lot. They've even exited a company sometimes, but in the end, there's not a lot of entrepreneurial strategy within the VC and the VC funds that they're investing also in other entrepreneurs. Like if there's not, a, that's where empathy, that's where you have a lot of friction, by the way. You have investors that invest in companies and then there's a lot of friction, right? You've heard VC nightmare stories, like, oh, they don't care about people, whatever. It's my, my core thesis is there's not empathy there because sometimes the investor side, they have not grown or raised capital for a company, but they've entered into the VC space. If you, if you I mean, I get inundated with people who want to just enter the VC space. Fine, it's a sexy area, fine. But there's a lot of people who have never started a business or been part of a startup. And they want to enter VC. Hmm. That's a problem. I only say it's a problem because can you succeed in it? Sure. But are you really improving what I see as a lot of problems in the industry? Not necessarily. I, th I think as, as I hear you say that, what it makes me think gets created is an empathy gap. If you just jump into VC because you're like, I have some money. I want to join a firm. Or I want to start a firm or a fund. Yes. Because I think I can make money. If you haven't had any type of in the trenches experience before, I think it, it does create an empathy gap, uh, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly. Yeah, because, you know, otherwise, if you're an investor and you expect every quarter to look like a straight line or something, and it doesn't because there's a good chance it won't in three months, you're just like, why? What happened? What's, what went wrong? And you're, I mean, <laughs> I'm in three startups just myself outside of investing in over 60. And I can tell you it's, it's so rare for anything like that to happen because life happens. There's so many other things 
that are dependent on. And it's not decreasing your standards. It's just understanding that you can have these goals. You just can't really time every single notch. And I see that. And by the way, that causes friction. You could have a board meeting and they're like, why didn't this happen? And you're like, well, these are the things. These are in the pipeline. And it's like, well, this didn't happen. And then there's friction and then there's lack of trust. And then, you know, and so that's the missed opportunity by bringing empathy to the table, by understanding the entrepreneurial journey, still having crazy high standards, open communication, reporting everything. There is a much better chance of having alignment to grow and bring value to your investors and for them to exit and and get what they want. Which is why I think on the founder side, it makes a lot of sense, not just look for money, but look for strategic partners at the same time. And given that founders, as you're out there on that journey, trying to find the right strategic partners, it's important that you want to gain investment from a firm that's going to truly understand the market and also the product. And on your side, I think it's your responsibility to be able to deliver a product that is going to actually withstand the market regardless of what's happening in the market. And that's where a partner like Mikito can come in and help because you know what? Creating an app is easy, but making it stay afloat in the market regardless of what's happening isn't the easiest thing. In fact, four and five apps launched in app stores get deleted after a single use, which is kind of crazy, but it's true. If I look at my phone, there are like, I would say more than half of the apps on my phone, probably 90% of them are like, They have the little cloud icon next to them because I downloaded them one time, don't use them, forgot to delete them, but they're back in the cloud. And at some point again, maybe I'll reuse it or maybe I'll just toss it off my phone altogether. So how do you thrive regardless of market forces without having a profound product strategy experience? Well, there's good news. You're not just doomed to failure if you can't figure it out yourself. Instead, you can grab an experienced partner that can help you all the way through. And that's where Mikito comes in. They're a team of design, software development, and product strategy experts that have built over 150 successful products for both startups and enterprises. So what that means is that they have the know-how and the strategy and the experience to build something for the enterprise scale. But at the same time, they have the agility, the adaptability, and the know-how to be able to get it right at the startup level. So whether whether you're just getting launched, whether you've launched and you want to scale up, whether you're trying to continue your scale, Mikito can meet you where you are and be your partner on your journey. And so your app might be the one in five that doesn't get deleted and continues to get usage and continues to gain more users. The only way you can find out is if you talk to Mikito. Where can you do that? Go to Mikito.com slash hype man. That's M-I-Q-U-I-D-O.com slash hype man. Mikito.com slash hype man. And today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're talking with Naveen Goyal from Loud Capital, sharing his take on the current market conditions of a pending recession. A couple more questions here before we hit our wrap up, Naveen. Um, I've sat back and thought, Okay, if I were going to start a company today, a new company today, and let's just assume like I'm not limited by my own like I don't know capabilities or anything like that. If it, if I could just have like a pick of anything, and I didn't necessarily care about my own vested interest in like the industry, um, to me, one of the most attractive industries I could get into um, would be cybersecurity. 
And I know there's actually been recent articles that cybersecurity funding has actually gone down. But the way I look at it is I'm like, I think cybersecurity is probably going to be one of the most important industries over the next five years, given the, the fact that remote work is so prevalent and every company needs to make sure that when their employees are working remotely from home, that they're protected. So freelancing is growing like crazy. Um, and the average freelancer doesn't have a VPN, for example. Um, that's how I look at things. And I'm saying, hey, you know what? This seems like a great time. If you're just going to start a company, cybersecurity seems like a great industry to get into. What are you like? You're talking to someone who's, again, all things equal. And you're like, hey, these two, this one, this two, these three industries, these are money industries to get into because of these trends. How, how do you think about that? What are some attractive industries to you? Well, I look at, um, and, and cybersecurity is, I, I agree with your assessment. I think that's huge. And as we rely more remotely, including corporations, um, I think there's a lot of protections that we'll need in place. So I think cybersecurity is huge. When I think of large industries that uh, are no longer serving the original recipient, which is people, well, uh, two things come to mind. Number one, the educational system. So not only the expense of higher education, um, but the, the whole alignment of going to school, learning in a traditional classroom, um, being lectured by an educator. By the way, educators are, are leaving schools and leaving colleges. Like, there are a lot of teachers who will now say they are burned out, they don't feel like they are serving the student, which was the original intention of school, and yet they're serving more of the the behemoth of, of the system, uh, right? And, and making sure their T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Um, so, so I think there's a huge opportunity to start teaching kids and teaching even adults education. That's a very broad industry, but there is a lot coming. And we're, we're personally working on our own online platforms and ways to get credentialed because right now you get a expensive, let's say for we're talking college, expensive degree, that degree doesn't necessarily unlock opportunities. It used to, mm-hmm. and and it, it made sense at the time. Right now, today, things are changing so quickly and colleges are so expensive, what does that piece of paper really do for you? It might be specifically on, a, again, a medical track, I need to do this, and, and, and you have a, a couple doors that are unlocked. But for the people who don't know what they wanna do yet, that's a very expensive piece of paper. And so when you talk about specific workforce training, what do I need to learn to get employed? What experience do I need to get employed? That's where education has a big opportunity. And then the second thing is uh, healthcare, which you know I, I know a, a good amount about, but once again, hospital systems, medical systems aren't necessarily focused on the patients because whatever patient comes in, that's maybe in their system, but there's so many patients that aren't getting touched or don't have access to their systems what can we do? And so just the smile and the journey of learning that we're taking care of kids now that larger, well-funded hospital systems with so many specialists aren't touching, it opens your eyes to people are not getting the care they need, preventative and uh, when they need it. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity to take care of people. I think on the, the first point with the education the other thing that I feel like is so, I guess, relevant or important, as we've seen over the last couple of years, so many things going online, is like 
no one has truly figured out what's the best, what's the right way to create an online learning experience. Like what 99% of schools around the country did was they did Zoom calls, right? Or like Google Meets where they said, all right, here's what an in-person analog experience is like. Let's just bring that online. No one's really cracked, it's my knowledge anyway, no one's really cracked that nut or cracked that egg on what should, like if we were to reimagine online learning as the base point, like what should that look and feel and sound like? And I think we've got, we've had too much of like Zoom calls, which again, yeah. Zoom wasn't designed for education. It was designed yeah. for this. It was designed for two yeah. business people to talk to each other in a meeting. Yeah. Maybe it was designed for podcasting as like a secondary purpose. And when you got all these companies who are doing that or Google Meet, or excuse me, schools rather, who are doing that or Google Meet, they're, they're again, they're taking what was an analog experience and just putting it online as opposed to saying, what is a native digital experience supposed to look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I'm very, uh, I'm learning a lot more about design thinking. So um, with the world changing so much, it's really not the content I'm learning from one person to another, right? So, so me and you growing up, it, it, there was content to be learned and it wasn't as searchable, right? Now it's how to think and process information that comes in. So there's actually a, a, a large focus in, in traditional classrooms and colleges of learning this information versus learning how to think and learning how to embrace change. And I think a lot of us as adults are, are starting to understand embracing change is a big skill, right? As an entrepreneur, as a business, as a, as a parent, as a son, as a brother, I mean, whatever, it's embracing change. Mm. And so I'm trying to instill that in my, in my kids. How can they learn that? Because the jobs, and I don't know what the stat offhand, the jobs that exist 20 years from now, they don't exist today. Mm-hmm. Like there's a large percentage of that. What does that say? So what knowledge do I need right now to do this job that doesn't exist? The point is you don't know. So how can you prepare, right? It's learning how to think, incorporate information, collaboration, empathy, communication. Like communication is big with me. That's what I lean on. So I'm talking to you. I, I love mm-hmm. to talk and, and, and get passionate about it. And so if people can speak and, and have empathy and, and try to understand the person across the table, think about the skill set. Think about how many problems would be solved. So for me, it's not only, you, you put it well, it's, it's taking this analog education and just putting it online. That won't work. But even in the classroom, that's also not working. That's not mm-hmm. enough. You know, you need to bring in experience. I would love to bring in more experiences into let's call it this classroom whatever that looks like so even if there's online learning exclusively like that's the new school that should be a really small portion of going out there and seeing and experiencing and and failing and doing these things this should be as a student not just as an adult one more question here before we begin our wrap up and i just want to bring it back to the founder capital raise for a moment um what advice do you have, or I guess, what do you recommend for how precise a founder should be when they talk to you or pitch you or any investor for that matter on their go-to-market or their traction strategy? And perhaps to help qualify that a little bit, um, every now and then I run into founders where you know we're working with them and I'll ask them, okay, what, what is your go-to-market strategy? And they'll respond and they'll say social media. And I'll say, what about social media? 
And they'll be like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you going to do? It's, and they don't really have great follow-up answers. I think in their mind, they think, oh, I don't know, we'll just start running ads and people will, you know, people will find us or we'll just create an Instagram account or a Facebook account, whatever it might be. And I'm like, you can't be, you can't be that clueless about how you're actually going to start getting people or like, um, one person I talked to was just like, oh, we'll just start running ads on our platform. And I'm like, you know, it took Facebook like seven years and millions of users for it to be worthy of a single advertisement. You can't just assume just because you have nine users on your platform, any advertiser is going to want to run ads. You have to know how to recruit advertisers anyways. So I, I obviously am very passionate about having a strong go-to-market strategy. I'm curious on your side of the table, what do you like, like what level of precision do you like hearing? Can it be as broad as just, oh, social media, we'll figure it out. No, I mean, you said it well. I mean, in, in the end, there's a lot of people who throw something out and say, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this towards marketing. Okay, well, what's your marketing plan? So it's just digging deeper. That's part of the diligence. Um, I, I, I do appreciate what you said, though. There's still a lot of folks who think social media is a billboard. And it's really just, oh, yeah, we're just going to put this and pop that on. And, um, and there's so much more. I think it's getting more complex today, right? Because us as consumers are consuming differently. Right, we now like video more, and we're getting used to that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a static versus a dynamic image. I mean, it, there's a lot more, and we're getting inundated by so many other platforms. So you know, people aren't paying attention to Facebook like like a few years ago. Not even close. No, no young folk. You know, young folks are not on there. Like they right. just aren't. And and people don't. Yeah. I know. Mean, it's. I, mean, I, I just. I, I have to corroborate that in the sense that like. I used to be on Facebook multiple times a day, and now I look at it maybe every two weeks. Like I, I literally missed my yeah. friend's July Fourth barbecue invitation because it was just a Facebook <laughs> event, and I, yeah. I logged in on like July seventh, and I was like, "Oh crap, I missed that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, to, to answer your question, dig deeper. Um, you can talk macro all you want, but in the end, it comes down to um, not only saying this like, oh yeah, we have a strategy, but like really questioning that process, how have they thought about it? Mm -hmm. Do they really understand it? And I think right now at this stage uh, in my journey, I'm, I can recognize now how kind of green people are or how inexperienced they are um, only because I've been there and I'm, I'm still, I still have a lot more to learn, but I know if people truly understand that if they're going to budget for this area, how are they going to use it? And if it doesn't work or when it doesn't work, what are they going to do about it? Because what happens a lot of time is, and I remember myself several years back, oh yeah, we're going to do this. But then what's, what's step two? Hmm. If, when that doesn't work, you ask that question, when that doesn't work, what are you going to do? If they don't have an answer, there's a really good chance they haven't thought deeply about it or they don't have, an ex have enough experience to really know it's going to fail. And, and that's, that's what you need to do. And that, that's what I've learned. I mean, I've failed so many times in different decisions over the years. And, and I use that for a positive learning aspect. Okay, so when this doesn't work, what do you do? How are you, how are you going to make money? How are you going to continue employing people and building a business? And so it's just asking questions and listening and hearing their thought process um, because they are going to potentially take your investment, which represents your investor dollars, which you worked really hard for. So, so this is a, uh, this is not easy stuff, but um, yeah, this is, the world's not easy. Final quick questions here to wrap up. First off, Naveen, where can our listeners find you? Where can they find loud? Where can they learn more? 
Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Um, I, I post a couple times a day. They can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, Loud Capital has a loud.vc is our website, and there's ways for investors to look for different alternative investments. Um, right now, we've been investing a lot into our own portfolio companies as they grow. We have over 60. Um, some of them are yours that you work with, and they're growing. So we're really supporting right now our, our own companies as they grow because we've started very early with them. Um, and we're always talking to investors who have dry powder and are very hesitant to, uh, for the public markets. Who is one person who you want to give a shout out to? I will give a shout out to my guy, Blake Overlock in Chicago. All right. Yeah, he, he's uh, recently been stepping up and doing really, really, really important and big things for us. And to have him on the team, um, not past a couple of years, and to do what he's doing today, I'm very proud of him. So, right on. Shout out to Blake. We'll now do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it over to you. Today's topic was a VC's take on pending recession. Um, two things I think that really stood out to me is don't let it become signal, it is noise. It is noise that is out there. Don't let it become signal. And I, I have to echo again what you said at the beginning, which was really more about having the right mindset at any point of the entrepreneurship journey, which is everyone is equipped, but not everyone is empowered. Naveen, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners on a dealing with a pending recession. Control what you can control, which many times is just the things around you. It's not about what you read, the market, what people are talking about, it's what you can do today. And that doesn't change whether the, uh, you know, the, the sky is uh, cloudy or it's sunny. Whatever you can control, control, and things usually work out for the best. Control what you can control. My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show, fill in the blank, Naveen. Entrepreneurship is blank. Education. Entrepreneurship is education. He is Naveen Goyal, co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. Naveen, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you very much. And listeners, don't forget, coming soon later in 2022 is the official Startup Hype Man mixtape. That's right. We're putting out an album dedicated to the founder journey, a hip-hop album. So you will be the first to know about that as long as you're subscribed to our point of view letter at startuphypeman.com. We'll catch you next week. That's a wrap on this one. Shout out to our guest once again for sharing their story with us. If what you heard impacted you, do one of three things. One, let our guests know. Reach out to them directly. They love hearing from you. Two, leave a rating and review on Apple. Or three, simply hit the share button and share this episode with one friend who you think would benefit from hearing it. Catch our full episode archive at startuphypeman.com slash podcast. And if you want to make your pitch not suck, reach out to us through the website. That's all for this week. We'll catch you next time. Raj Nation out. Believe the hype.